Well, it's great to see you here this weekend. Thank you so much for joining us at Northridge as we do this series called Unforgettable. And whether you're a regular attender or a guest, we're trusting that the truths that we are communicating during this series and this weekend become unforgettable truths that literally mark your lives, transform your lives as God would have them transformed. And this weekend, we are getting into a truth that really can remarkably change our lives and our world if we'll let it. In fact, it, as we get into the truth, it reminds me of a very common phrase that I'm sure you've heard uh, over the course of your lifetime, especially in recent days. It's the phrase, it is what it is. I'm curious, how many of you have ever said that phrase, it is what it is? Yeah, almost all of us. I know I've said it a lot. In fact, uh, this weekend we've been saying it with our Detroit Edison power outages and all the things coming in, you know, things that we can't change and we can't control. We just say it is what it is. At the end of one of this weekend's services this morning, actually, I mean, right as I was closing down the talk, all the sound went out. There was nothing we could do about it. And I had to, in order to stay right with Jesus in any way, say... It is what it is, you know. It is what it is. In fact, it happens to me a lot. Uh, recently, I, I met a very kind, very professional, very committed, and very professional public servant who pulled me over in my car. And, um, <laughs> and I have to tell you, I was very this is what I can say in church and get away with it, unhappy. <laughs> what I really was, and it has a P and an O in it, and you can figure it out. I mean, I, I just was not happy at all. I deserved it. He didn't do anything wrong, but, but I wasn't happy. And I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get past it. I just couldn't get past it. It was like it bugged me forever. And finally, I'll give you one guess at what I kept saying in my head over and over and over again to finally get past it. What was it? It is what it is. Can't change it. Can't do anything about it. It happened. It is what it is. Uh, another example. Um, this week, actually, this week, our great University of Michigan football team plays its first game of this season, which is going to be great. Awesome. Against... Alabama, the number one football team in the entire country. What were our schedulers thinking, actually? I mean, really, I'm, I mean, I'm really all about U of M winning. And so to get that first win in, I'd, I'd rather us just play like a high school team first, you know? Not, not Alabama, the number one team. And it's not like I have any stake in this. It's not like, you know, I, I have money wagered on it or anything. I just love our team. Go maize and blue. We're the champions. And I don't want us to start like losers. I want us to start like champions. And, and we're playing Alabama, and there's some risk in that. I know it's a big deal. It's a great game. But it could turn out poorly for us, and I have anxiety over it. But I can't change it. I have no control over it. So I just say... It is what it is. Go boys, right? Now, here's a heads up on this. Um, I have an Alabama guy who uh, actually began following Christ here in a serious way um, who just texted me yesterday and said, how about a non-monetary wager over the Alabama-Michigan game? 
Uh, does anyone remember the Texas Ranger jersey I was wearing last year? <laughs> but I can't not support our guys, and so I said, okay, and would you just pray? I, look, at, <laughs> would you make deals with God, you know, over this thing? Because I don't want to have to show up in weeks to come in red or saying stupid things like, Go Tide, or anything like that. So, you know, but if it happens, I'm in red, here's what we'll all say. It is what it is. That's right. That term is a term of acceptance in the face of something we can't change. I couldn't change what had happened with the police officer. Not once it happened. It was what it was. Couldn't change it. We can't change, ultimately. We have no control over what's going to happen with, you know, Michigan and Alabama. I mean, it, you can't change it. So it is what it is. The problem, though, with that phrase is that we often apply it to things that it doesn't apply to. We often throw up our hands and say, it is what it is, it can't be changed in the face of things that really can be changed. And this is why things that should be different never become different. Because instead of making the difference, we say it is what it is. We acquiesce to it. We give into it. And we shouldn't. I mean, an example of this is we look at this world of ours and it is extremely messed up. This is a messed up world. Bad choices being made all over the place. Darkness is dominant brokenness and pain rule. It's not a good thing. But we have a tendency in the face of this world, because the problem is so gigantic, to throw our hands up and to say, it is what it is. But in so doing, we are inferring that the underlying conflict expressed in that Carrie Underwood song that we just experienced is true. We're saying, you're just a fool to believe you can change this world. It is what it is. But we're not fools to believe we can change this world. It isn't what it is. It can be different. That idea is absolutely wrong. Because Jesus Christ left heaven and came to this planet in order to prove once and for all that redemption is possible, change is possible, do-overs are possible. That light can come into this world of darkness. That hope can be experienced in the midst of despair. That joy can be had in the midst of sorrow and the storm. We can make a difference in this world. It isn't what it is. But in order to make that difference, we have to understand the problem. It demands that we understand it. And so you know, the problem stems from a truth about people, but that sounds too third person. The real problem stems from the truth about us, you, me. And here's the truth. By nature, we tend to shut other people out of our lives. By nature, we tend to shut out those who are different. We tend to shut out those we don't like, those we don't want those we're jealous of, those we're threatened by, we tend to shut them out. And it's in the shutting them out, the dismissing of them, in the promoting of ourselves over and against others, that this world is messed up, where we take 
for ourselves, even if it means loss for others. That's why this world is messed up. And the passage that for me has become an unforgettable truth that has marked my life, changed the way I view me and you and ministry and church and the world is Luke chapter 15. Because Jesus was confronted by our nature that we tend to shut out those that are different, that we tend to exclude them instead of helping them, that we tend to tear them down instead of lifting them up. In Luke chapter 15, look at how this passage begins. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, his teaching, his truth, what he came to say and share. Now, you really won't understand this passage unless you understand who the tax collectors and sinners really were. They were the worst of the worst, the people who had failed to the greatest extent, to the, the people who no one of any normalcy, of any goodness wanted around. And, and I know you might still have a hard time applying this because some of you are thinking in terms of your IRS agent, and though you, that might not be your favorite person, that's not what this is talking about. Because tax collectors in Jesus' day were people given authority by Rome to collect money for Rome. But then they were able to use that authority to then collect beyond what Rome wanted to fill and pad their own pockets. They would literally rip off their neighbors and their friends and their own people for their own advantage. They were the worst of the worst. It was despicable. And sinners, this category of people who are just known as failures. And this is the interesting thing. These are the ones who were gathered around him. These are the ones who were drawn to him and who followed him. He, he saw the sick as those who needed a doctor, the broken as those who needed healing, the ones lost in darkness who needed the light. But look at what verse 2 says. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these people who were the church of that day, who were the representatives of God that day, these are the people who should have represented God's love and represented God's goodness and forgiveness and openness. These people, look at what they did. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, you know what the word muttered means because you've done it. You know, this is when you have real strong feelings against someone, about someone, but you don't say it out loud because, ooh, it might make you look like you really are. And so you mutter it. This is what we do at Thanksgiving dinner when we're with family we don't like. <laughs> what do I have to be here? I'm out of here. We mutter. And that's what the, these are the religious leaders representing God. And what they're doing is under their breath they're muttering, this guy claims to be from God, but look at who he hangs out with. If he was anybody good he wouldn't have a message for these people. He would dismiss these people. And so the religious leaders who were supposedly representing God were actually simply reflecting the problem with this world. Shutting others out. Dismissing them. How do we do this? Because it happens to all of us, and all of us are guilty of this. It's, it's humanity's nature. It's our nature. How, how do we shut others out? Well, the first thing we do is we, we devalue them. I mean, we devalue them. And let, let me put a harsher tone to it. We belittle them. 
And I'm telling you, you don't, you don't have to say, get away from me. All you have to do is devalue and belittle and diminish them. And they are shut out. It happened on playgrounds. All of us have been somewhere where kids all gathered, playgrounds in school, generally speaking, right? Where we were in a group of people where we felt ourselves superior to others. And it doesn't matter what group. You could have, good night, you could have been on the chess club and you still felt superior to those of us who aren't smart enough to play the game. And so you're gathered around in your little playground and someone from outside the group comes up and you dismiss them, you ignore them, you devalue them, you belittle them. And all of us have the picture of our mind, and maybe it's the picture of us being the person that was belittled, but where the head goes down and maybe a tear flows out of the eye and, and they're walking away dismissed as unimportant on this planet. And all of us have experienced it one way or another, from one side or another. That's human nature. We devalue people. We shut others out. That's why this place that's meant to be so beautiful can be so ugly, that's meant to be a community of good, becomes an isolated island of despair for so many of us. By nature, we tend to shut others out. How? Not just by devaluing them, but by literally caring so little about them that we organize our lives to avoid them. I mean, we literally will go out of our way not to have to be contacted by them. In Jesus' day, there, were, there was a people group known as the Samaritans, the Samarians, and, and the Jews hated them, hated them. They had Jewish heritage, but they had mixed married with pagans, and they had convoluted their beliefs, and, and the Jews literally thought of them as half-breeds, less than dogs, and so much did they devalue them that if they had to go to the other side of Samaria, they would organize their trip to go around Samaria instead of through it. They were going to avoid them. And that's just a picture of how we are. You know, it can be at work, it can be in family, it can be in your community. You know those people you try and organize your life to avoid. That doesn't make the world better, it makes the world worse. And yet we do it. We shut out those who are different. And it goes beyond that, of course. We devalue them. We organize our world to avoid them. And, and we try to ultimately keep them down. Because if they're less than us, then we have to be more than them. And so we do whatever we can to keep our foot on their neck. And if we can't avoid them, we can surely benefit our lives by using them. And so we try and keep them down, keep them serving us and serving our interests. Come on, you, you don't have to look far to see this. It, it's what happens between different ethnic groups. America has some horrible stories of this, and they're not all over, are they? It, it happens between religious groups. It happens between economic classes. It, it happens with women in our world. It's gotten better, but there's still problems with it. This is a part of human nature, and it literally makes this world dark. And sadly, this doesn't just happen in the world out there. This happens in places like this, in churches where we're supposed to reflect the hope of Jesus, the light of Jesus, the love of Jesus. Let me give you a Bible example of that. In the church at Antioch, it was a, ultimately a great church, but it had some poor beginnings. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19. 
there was a persecution of Christians in Jerusalem, and so they all kind of left Jerusalem into other places. Verse 19 says, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But look at this last phrase, telling the message only to the Jews. Telling the message only to the Jews. Hey, we've got the message of hope. We'll share it with people. We want to have it. People we value. We've got the truth that can set people free. Who do we want to share it with? The people we want to be with. We'll share it with the Jews only. What they were doing is they were in the name of Jesus still diminishing other people. And it just wasn't a good thing. The problem with our world, the reason it's so messed up is because by nature we human beings tend to shut out those who are different from us. But there's some good news here because there's also a solution. There's a solution because though this is what human beings are like and sometimes even in places like this, it's not what God is like. God is very different. The truth about God is that God by His very nature always keeps His arms wide open to embrace anyone who would come to Him. God keeps His doors wide open so anyone who wants to may come. And let me get a little personal because every single one of us knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of rejection, of being dismissed and belittled and devalued. And some of us have experienced it even in spiritual quote-unquote environments. And this is one of the reasons we have a hard time with Jesus. This is one of the reasons some of us have even declared we don't believe in God. And so I just need you to know, those of you who are struggling with this, though you might have been on the receiving end of rejection even by those who claim to be Jesus' followers, you will never be on the receiving end of rejection by God himself. There's only one way you can miss God, and that's if you reject him. I mean, look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world, not your little segment of the world, not your little ethnic group of the world, a religious group. God so loved the world that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and lived that perfect life that we failed to live and then died the death of sin on that cross for all of us and then rose again so that, and this is the important word, whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but can have eternal life. Whoever, you're the whoever, I'm the whoever. Isn't this awesome? God keeps his arms open for everyone. Great example of this is Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the world, when you really understand who he was, wrapped himself up in humanity to come down and show us what humanity was created for. That you don't have to be a fool to believe you can change the world. That when you look at the world, you don't have to say it is what it is, but it can be different. That's what he showed us. And Luke chapter 15 continues because these religious leaders were saying, why would you want anything to do with them? Shut them out. And he says, I'll tell you why. Because God keeps his arms open. God brings light in the midst of darkness. And he tells this story. Look at Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says... Rejoice with me. Let's party together because I found my lost sheep. And I tell you, Jesus says, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one of these despicable of despicables, these, these failures of failures, one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And just to add weight, you might want to read Luke 15 on your own someday. It wasn't enough for him to tell one story. This was so important to him. It's such a part of the solution that he told then another story that said the same thing about a woman who lost a coin. Then he told another story about a father who lost a son. And they all say the same thing. Why? Because this is important. And what does that passage about the sheep and the shepherd say? It says God values all people. Not just the 99 who didn't wander away. Not just the 99 who made all good decisions, even though that doesn't exist. But, but all people. And if one goes astray, he wanders away to find it. God values all people. What else does that passage teach us? It teaches us that unlike human beings that order their world to avoid the losers, God orders his world to redeem the losers. I mean, he literally changed his world, left heaven and came to earth and changed everything about the structure of his life and world for eternity in order to rescue these people. God orders his world to help all people. I don't know what you're experiencing in this world, but Jesus is proof positive that he came for you. He ordered his world to help you. And finally, this passage teaches us that God experiences great joy in opening his arms to all who come to him. I mean, that's where he finds his joy. If we really want to apply this passage, then, then we have to understand that if we are followers of Christ, and if we are going to honor God and appropriately represent God, and if we are going to make a difference in this world, bring positive change in this world, if we're going to bring light into this world of darkness, then we have to Stop following our human tendency and we have to embrace the pattern of God to open our arms wide to embrace the very people whom we want to avoid and run from. That we have to open our doors wide to let them in. I mean, this is our role. In fact, it's not just about opening our arms and opening our doors because God could have opened his arms and opened heaven all he wanted and we could have never made it there. It's about us leaving our comfortable place and leaving our place of convenience and leaving the place that's easiest for us and literally going and making a difference in their lives, seeking them out. Jesus left heaven and came to earth and that's the assignment given to us as believers. Not just to open our arms, but to so open our arms that we are running after people to embrace them. Look at the great command Jesus left to those of us who are his followers, to his church. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, Go, make disciples out of all nations. Now, this is, this is meant to be taken literally and specifically. You know what he meant? Go into Samaria, that place you despise, that place you avoid, to those people you try and keep down. Go into that place and help them become my followers to find forgiveness, to find hope, to find help, to find redemption. Go there. Baptize the ones you've hated in love in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey and experience everything I've commanded for you. And as you do that, I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, there's true Christianity. There's what the church is supposed to look like. And I know not everyone who comes to Northridge is already a follower of Christ. Many of you are searching and seeking and you're hoping that Jesus might be real, but you're not so sure based upon the people who call themselves by his name. And I want you to know 
though it may not have been represented well to you, this is what Jesus wants his followers to do, to reach out to you, to embrace you, to love you, to care about you and others. And here's the good news. Though we've all blown it, God can fix it. In fact, that's the whole message of hope of Christianity. Let me give you the example of Antioch again. You know, the church at Antioch who was only, you know, wanting to give hope to the Jews. Look what happened in the next verse, in Acts chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. Some of them, however, though some were only speaking to the Jews about hope, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. This is saying they were going to take the hope and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to everyone. They were going to tell everyone the good news about the Lord Jesus. And as they did that, the Lord's hand was on them. The Lord's hand is always on those who reflect his nature. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Lives were changed all over the place. And I just have to give you my heart on this. This is my desire right here. Not by nature. It's not my natural desire. But it's what God has really been compelling me to want. This is my desire for me. I don't want to be someone who shuts others out whom I don't like or aren't convenient to me. I want to be like Jesus who opens my arm to those who even goes out of my way to help them. And this is what I want for you because I know darkness exists in our soul because we allow this natural dark tendency to control us. But if we will follow God's pattern, it will bring light in us and we will share it. And this is what I desire for us as Northridge Church. But for it to happen, we have to make the choice. I'm not going to follow my nature. I'm going to adopt God's nature. For this to happen, and once again, this is a truth that's been changing me, and so I'll share what choices I've had to make, and you can weave them into the fabric of your life or not. The first thing, if we're going to really make the right choice, we have to make the choice to value what God values. People. I mean, God values people. That's the currency of the kingdom. That's the value of the kingdom. Not power and prosperity and traditions and religion and buildings and size and success. God values people. And there is no success without valuing people. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Come on. God values you. How can you not value others? We have to make this choice. I am going to value all people like God values them. The great command, Jesus came and he was into a place and this question was asked, what's the greatest command? And look at his answer in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And by the way, the second is like it. You can't be fulfilling the first command without following up with the second command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This weekend is entitled Love Part Two. Last weekend was Love Part One. And the reason is because I am so creative in my gift of titling that, um, you know, I came up with those creative titles. But Love Part One was the fact that though we claim to love God, we shut Him out of our lives. We say His name and we sing about Him and we act like we know Him, but we've shut Him out of our lives. And if you haven't heard the talk, go, go online, listen to it. It's important. But the second part, and this is the second great problem with the church of Jesus Christ, with 
Christ followers is that we shut others out. You know what the great command of God is? Love God, love others. You know what the great failure of Christians in the church is? We don't love God and we don't love others, but we sing about it. Talk about it. We've got to make a change in it. We have to love our neighbor ourselves. I've been discovering lately that, that it's the most unlikely people, the people we would tend to discount and diminish and really shut out of our lives, it's the most unlikely people that are the ones that bring the greatest hope and change to the world. I mean, really, who would have thought Mother Teresa would change the entire world's view on poverty and helping poverty? What was she, three inches tall or something like that? I mean, this woman, one of the least likely, you'd miss her in a crowd, change the world. And it's always been this way. Who are the ones who change the world? Why do we have the hope of Jesus today? It's not because of the most likely. It's because of the least likely. Jesus chose the least likely people in the world. They're the ones. The ones who had failed the most are the ones that embraced him the most, and then they declared this hope to the world, and the transformation they experienced was so to be admired that the world was transformed by them. The least likely are often the ones that lead us into hope. And I have found, though there are many pockets here at Northridge where this is going on, I have found even here, it's really surprising. The least likely people, the one leading the way on this, you know, stepping outside of their own world, their own interests in loving other people, the least likely people, and for me, the least likely people in the world are teenagers. I was one, I raised them. And I'm just telling you right now, they are better at shutting people different out of their lives than anybody in the world. I mean, to the point of pain. They know how to do it. And yet here at Northridge, you know what? It's our teenagers who are really leading the way out. It's amazing. Rather me than tell you myself, uh, I thought I'd invite one of our student ministry pastors out to tell you what some of our students are doing in this place. And so I've invited our student ministry pastor from Ann Arbor, Celine, out. His name's Justin Powell. Would you welcome him to the stage? Okay, full disclosure, Justin Powell. He's my nephew. It's a strong name. Yeah, he's my nephew, so he's got a genetic predisposition to be both intelligent and handsome. Uh, And (laughs) so... uh, but you, you, as one of our student ministry pastors, have yeah. been leading our students into some amazing things. Uh, as the video goes, tell them about it. Yeah, what you're going to be seeing uh, is just really a, a brief glimpse of a, a trip that we completed a few weeks ago called Love Week. And our goal in Love Week was simply to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our surrounding communities. And, and it really grew out of um, a series of annual trips that we do every summer with our middle school, high school, and college groups. And we do West Virginia, we do North Carolina, we do other areas uh, nationally and internationally. Uh, and so we decided, you know, what, what if we brought that home to our local areas? And so that out of that grew Love Week and, and our, our three ministries at all three campuses combined forces to, to bring about Love Week this year. Investing in others. Now, yeah, here's the interesting thing. I mean, students... Uh, just don't seem to be the most likely candidate to step out of the world, to step out of serving themselves, to serve others. So how, how in the world do you even get them to step into that? Yeah, and I love how you said the least likely, because I'm sure there are parents of teens here thinking, loving others and teenagers, you know, <laughs> not my kid, you know. And, and so what we try to do is make it a year-long process where we take our series, we take our topics that we're addressing on the weekends and in some of the off-campus groups that we have, 
and really challenge the students in the fact that no matter where you are, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Christ, there's a logical next step for you. You know, for some of them, that's uh, giving up something in their life. For some of them, that's simply inviting someone who needs to be here. And for some of them, that next step is getting outside of themselves and having opportunities to use their gifts uh, in service in some way. Cool. And so, but it's one thing to get them to take that step. It's another, it's another thing for them yeah. to actually enjoy the experience yeah. and benefit from it. So tell us what happens. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the huge thing is that as you describe one of these trips... You know, they're away from so many of their amenities that they're used to. They, they don't have their cell phones. They don't have Facebook. They don't have Twitter. No video games. They're, and they're separated from their key friend groups. They're tired. They're, they're working like dogs every day. And yet they love it. And, and really, there's no reason why they should based on typical definition of fun for a teenager. But what I think they discover on site is that they can be stretched. And, and they're capable of so much more than they ever thought that they were. And all from reaching out and serving others and expecting nothing in return. And so what do you see in their lives and then in the lives of the people they touch when they come back? Yeah, and, and that's, that's where it really gets cool because they come back and they, they begin to have an impact here locally. Uh, they get involved in, in their own service projects. They serve around their schools. They, they get involved in ministries here at Northridge. And really that spreads to the students who were left behind who for some reason couldn't go. Um, and that really has an impact on our entire ministry not just on the students that were there. So they don't, by stepping into changing someone's life, they don't just change their own lives, they actually change then the community of their friendships. Yeah, absolutely, and the absolutely. That's awesome. Justin, yeah. thanks for sharing yeah. it. Thanks for leading absolutely. it out. Give them a big hand, would you? <laughs> oh, that we could be more like our students. And I'm being very serious. Stepping outside of our own comfort zones, our own patterns, our own lives, and making a difference in the lives of people who are hurting, and in so doing, finding our own life, finding the hope that Jesus came to bring us. That's awesome. Now, if we're going to ultimately be light in this world and be authors of change in this world, not only do we have to, you know, value all people like God values them, but we have to make the choice because it doesn't come naturally. We have to make the choice that we're going to hold our arms wide open, that we're going to do whatever we can to hold our doors wide open to help all people, not to build some kind of parks and recreation for our, our own lives and families and kids and community, but to literally hold it open to all people. Look at how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 and 22. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, Jesus set me free. I can do anything I want, but here's what I've done. I've made myself a servant to everyone so that I might win as many as possible, so that I might help them to experience light and change. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Here's the truth. Paul is saying that if we're really going to reflect the nature of Christ, if we're really going to be light in this world of darkness, then, then it should change how we do life. It should change what we do in life. Instead of doing what most people do, getting people to serve us or dismissing other people, we should actually make ourselves servant to all. I, I think it should change how we do church. It should be noticeable that a church is different. I, I really believe that. And by the way, this church is flawed in so many ways, and we have so many things to address. But the one thing that you can see, for sure in pockets, but as a general part of the community, is, wow, do we do church differently. There was a dad, I just met with him last week, seriously, and, and he had just come for the very first time, 
and he had had religious exposure and he brought his girls and they were sitting experiencing one of our services and the girls leaned over and said, said is this church? <laughs> no kidding. I, I think if we just do church like church people like it, we're reflecting human nature. We're, we're serving ourselves and by serving ourselves dismissing others. I believe we need to do church in a way where we're like Jesus communicating the message of hope to the people who need hope that the doors are wide open and this is why we do the, the things we do here and speak the language we speak here it's because we are wanting to communicate truth to all and, and I believe that if we're really going to have wide open arms and doors it should change what we do as a church and this is why this last winter we had such a remarkable season when literally Nearly 3,000 children in two communities in Zambia were adopted and sponsored so that we could partner with two communities halfway around the world for them to experience hope and light and change. We did it. Why did we go out and do this? Why did we pursue this? Because we want to be like God and we want to have wide open arms to show the love of Christ. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, back on one of the tree stumps in our set, are two framed pictures, one of Avon and then one of Lytton and Nancy. And these are Roxanne's and my three World Vision sponsored children. And I didn't frame these so that I could show them to you. I literally just grabbed these off my desk and brought it down because these kids are now part of our lives. Why? Because we stepped out of our world and into theirs. And I know many of you did, and it's easy to get lethargic about it. It's easy to, uh, you know, okay, did that, I'm on. But we want to be part of these kids' lives as their community changes over the next decade. And so we're making them a part of life. In fact, I got really, really excited because this last week we got one of the kids' report cards. And, um, of course, this is my sponsored child, all A's. Um, <laughs> no, it's not, really, it's not really a grade report card. It's really um, just a progress report. But it's exciting. They're a part of our lives. Why? Because we've for once, gone out of our way to show the love of Christ to people whom aren't right around us. We're not shutting them out. We're opening our arms to them. Are you? If we're going to make a difference in this world instead of saying it is what it is, we have to make one more choice. We have to make the choice to find joy in reaching new people. And I'm going to tell you, this is a hard one for many people because new people are an inconvenience. They change our life and our world. I mean, I, when you come into Northridge Church, and I know if you're a guest, this isn't true of you yet, but it will be, but those of who come here any amount of time have their favorite seat in their favorite place in the auditorium. <laughs> How do you feel when someone's in your seat? <laughs> if it's not joy, that's reflecting human nature, not God's nature. How do you feel when you can't get a parking lot because so many new people are here finding out about hope? I bet you your first impression isn't, thank God there's no parking space for me. <laughs> but yet, what God is finding is joy. Because these people are coming. We want to be the kind of church where the people who love Jesus the most are the ones who don't want a parking space left for them, where they're willing to park in the shuttle, where there, there isn't a seat that they can consistently sit in because new people are filling that seat. Look at how it happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praise God. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, being redeemed. What a brilliant thing. That's the kind of church we should have. 
So, as we kind of move towards conclusion, I want you to have a takeaway. And, and here's the takeaway. We're not fools for believing we can change the world. We can. We don't have to, when we look at this world, settle for throwing our arms up and saying, it is what it is. It isn't what it is. It can be different. It's supposed to be different. It's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth. It's the whole point of the Christian faith. It can be different. But to be different, we have to make a choice. And the choice is odd. The choice is, will I live by my nature? Or will I live by God's nature? Now, this is an interesting choice because you and I can't manufacture God's nature in us. Try as you might, it's not going to happen. But God can transform your nature into his. In fact, it's what Jesus does. Jesus died on the cross so we could die to our dark and failed and messed up nature and sinful desires. And he can transform our insight into his nature, but only God can do it. So this means the choice that we can make is a prayer, really. God, do in me what only you can do in me. Wake me up to the love and compassion for others that you have because I don't have it on my own. It's a prayer. So we've asked our worship team to come out. This isn't the best time to run and leave because we've asked our worship team to come out and to lead us in a song that really is a prayer talking about awaken me, your nature. Awaken me, your love. And as they lead us, I just encourage you to process this prayer as your own. In a moment, I'll come up and end the prayer, but during this song, make the choice to pray this way. I'm going to ask if all of you would stand and join us together as we finish this service in prayer. And I'm actually going to conclude with two separate prayers. First, for those of you who are here and you'd say, I've never experienced the warm and loving embrace of God in my life ever. Didn't know that it was available to me. Didn't feel worthy of it. You need to know it's not for the worthy. It's for those he loves and he loves you. And I just encourage you to, like those when he walked on this planet who were so broken, whom found healing in him, to open your life to him. And first, I'm going to pray with you. And then, for all of us, would you bow with me? And as we pray, if you're ready to open your life to him, take my words, make them yours. Say, God, I am that one who's devalued others to pretend I had greater value, dismissed you, dismissed others. And as a result, I'm so far from who I know I was created to be. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe, Jesus, you died on that cross to take my sin, and so I'm giving it to you and by faith trusting you to take it from me. And I believe you rose again to give me new life, and I'm asking you to fill me with that new life and let me live it. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me before I finish in prayer for all of us, 
we'd love to help you take next steps in your journey with God, but we just need to know you prayed with me. And so in the program we hand you as you come into one of our live services, we have this connection card. And all you have to do is take it out and fill it out. And it says, today I prayed to receive Jesus. Check that off. Let us know. There are boxes. In all of our live campus settings, there are boxes at every exit. Just throw it in there. We'll send you that information. And if you're watching on Church Online, we're so glad you're here. Um, hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same thing for you. But now, for those of us who are believers, here's the deal. We have this tendency to hide away in our churches and throw up our arms as we look at our world and to say, it is what it is. We have to stop it. And we have to start saying, God, the world is what it is, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Change me so I can bring change to it. I choose you. I'm going to value others. If you're ready to make that choice, I'm just going to ask you to bow with me in prayer as I pray over you. Father in heaven, I thank you in Jesus' name that you cared about us when we weren't worthy of your care. And if you've loved us so profoundly, we should love others. Help us as individuals and then help us as Northridge Church to be a place that's different, not because we're better, but because you're in us working through us. Let us be the light of the world. Let our doors be wide open and our arms open and help people find you. Help the world to be different because of it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great week. See you next time.